Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. Welcome. Today is July 21st, 2016. I'm Charlie Wright, and we're very pleased to welcome for the very first time Bill Kelly, CEO of KIA, C-A-I-A, standing for Chartered Alternative Investment Analyst Association. Bill speaks to us from their headquarters in Boston. Bill, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Thank you, Charlie. Delighted to be on. So, Bill, since 2002, I know that Kaya has been the leader and authority in alternative investment education. You guys serve more than 8,400 alternative investment leaders in 80-plus countries. Let's start with a little of your personal background here. Uh, sure. So, uh, so I, I'm a, a latent CPA. I got my training as an accountant at Price Waterhouse right out of college, but shortly thereafter entered the asset management field and had been on the buy side of asset management for the better part of the last 30 years. In a uh, what I would say is a, was a pretty successful career. I I started an asset management firm uh, as one of the founding partners in Boston, and we sold it to Rubico in Rotterdam. And it gave me a great understanding as to how the asset management business and industry works. And, and it was a great run, and I enjoyed it tremendously. But I was looking to be an entrepreneur again after we sold our business and, and was looking around for various things to do. And, uh, and sitting on top of a non-for-profit in the educational space was not necessarily at the top of my list. But when Kai approached me with this opportunity, it was around the, the acceleration of alternatives uh, as sources of, of uh, return streams and Portfolios, and uh, I fell in love with the concept. I've been here about uh, two and a half years, and it's just been a terrific run, and I very much believe our best days are still ahead of us. Well, that's a good positive attitude. I'm sure everybody there appreciates. Uh, so tell us about Kaya, uh, who it is, who you serve, and what it's about. Uh, sure. So it's, it's still a very young organization, and our product is education. It's as simple as that. The uh, AMA, which is the Alternative Investment Management Association out of the U.K., probably in the late 1990 time frame, as alternatives were getting more and more organized in institutional portfolios, although the history of alts goes back over 50 years, they were really coming into the fore in the late 1990s. And AMA had thought there should be some designation that underscores a level of professionalism and ethics ethical behavior when it comes to alternatives. And they looked at the CFA, and the CFA has done an excellent job of brand. I have tremendous respect for They are primarily in the traditional space, so they felt there should be a CFA-like credential for the alternative space. They got together with UMass Amherst and uh, Tom Schneeweiss, who's still on our board. He was a professor there, and had done a lot of innovative work on derivatives and structured products and alternative strategies. And UMass Amherst and AMA got together, and out of that, uh, Kaya was born. And our very first class of candidates from those humble beginnings was in 2003, 43 people in that first class. And as I look ahead, not uh, quite 14 years later, we now have 6,000 people sitting for the exam globally and a member base that's uh, about 8,400, as you just pointed out a moment ago, in 90 different countries. I just got back from Japan uh, just uh, a month or so ago, and we launched our 27th global chapter in Japan. And these chapters represent a, a, uh, a, a accumulation of our members in these various parts around the world to really make a difference and, and underscore the ongoing need for education content and enlightenment. 
So uh, tell us, you know, we had Dick Fister in uh, just a few weeks ago, and his uh, his podcast is up, and he said he was among the first class of, I think, 43 that you had there. Yeah, I actually just talked to Dick on something else today, and uh, I like Dick a lot. And if uh, if you know Dick and meet Dick, it doesn't take more than two or three sentences before he'll proudly show you his charter, which has number 10 on it. So he's an, a very early and a very proud card-carrying member, and uh, and I have a lot of respect for what he does. And I think that the new business he's launched is uh, is very, very interesting. So, uh, so there are a lot of Dick Fisters in the lineup, people that believe that education, education and enlightenment make it difference. And I think in this marketplace we're in now, Charlie, I think alternative really should not be looked at as necessarily an alternative asset class. I look at tools in a toolbox and the very traditional portfolio of stocks, bonds, and cash is, is what I grew up with, my parents' generation grew up with, and I think now the world and the market has changed dramatically, and having access and understanding to these alternative sources of beta are, are just so very important, and Dick certainly gets that in terms of his business model. Yeah, no question about it, and that's what AlphaCore, his business, is all about. So for some of our listeners who may not be as adept at understanding alternative investments, uh, give us a, a brief uh, description Will you? And then let's all recognize up front, this is probably the, the, the biggest misnomer in the world because to say alternative investments for the kinds of investments that they describe is, is not doing justice to those investments. Uh, yeah, I agree with all of that. And, and, and the, the core pillars of our program probably fall into maybe five different categories of alternatives. And there is areas like hedge funds, private equity, commodities, structured products, and real assets. But even inside of each one of those categories, there could be many, many subcomponents. And, and I think one of the challenges that the industry faces and that we try to address as an educator is that when people hear the term alternative investments, oftentimes because it's grabbed a lot of headlines, they think it's synonymous with hedge funds. And then they take the next leap, which is hedge funds as an asset class. And none of that is true. And even if I, I want to drill down on hedge funds for a moment, just uh, 15 years ago in 2000, the hedge fund space was about $500 billion. Today, it's grown at a rate of six times. That is over $3, tri- $3 trillion. And the number of funds have mushroomed from about 3,000 in the year 2000 to almost 9,000 today. So all of that gets thrown into one big vat called hedge funds. And it's really a collection of different strategies. And you could have a risk mitigator that's trying to hedge out either currency risk or market risk up to a leveraged beta play on, on what the uh, the British pound is doing post-Brexit and everything in, in between. So I think it, it becomes very confusing for the unsophisticated investor or, or uneducated investor to really approach these tools to see how they can fit into a portfolio. I think the concept of getting uncorrelated return streams into a portfolio is an excellent one. But unless you understand the rules of engagement, how to approach it, it becomes much, much more challenging. You know, Bill, as we've said uh, more than once on this show, uh, we believe in the old saying that in a bear market, the only thing that goes up is correlation. And so uh, what we all need to recognize is we may think that large cap versus small cap versus emerging markets, uh, even gold and silver, uh, in 2008 and even in 2000, uh, when the markets dropped, all of those dropped with them. And uh, the commodities did not. 
and uh, so many strategies of the hedge funds and now mutual funds and separately managed accounts and others did not because they are tactical, because they are strategic, because they're long short, because of the, the strategies that they have. So uh, it, it, for, for all advisors, I think many are really coming to recognize the importance of having real diversification and not just bowing to diversification and giving lip service to it. Yeah, I agree with all of that, and I, and I think the concept and the birth of uh, liquid alts, and, and that's really been the retail investor's entry point and the RIA entry point into alternatives to a large degree, and if you rewind the tape and look at it, it's very interesting that the vast majority of products came out post the global financial crisis, so you had the S&P in 2008 down 37%, and that was a horrible situation, and it got a lot of people scared and panicked, and a lot of people, I think in many cases, got out before the S&P hit rock bottom, and I'll, I'll come back to that in a moment. But if you look at what's happened post-2008, we've had seven years, and the S&P is seven for seven in, in up years. And if you look at the average return of the S&P for those seven years up to the end of 2015, it's up on average 15%. And this year to date, uh, I know the market was off a little bit today, but it's up another 6% year to date this year. So the concept and, and the nervousness of investors which caused this uh, – liquid alts uh, to be born, has sort of waned a little bit. And I think what is meant to be a risk mitigator and trying to have less drawdown risk but with the corollary of less upside capture, I think people have forgotten what drawdown risk is all about. And they're looking at uh, any kind of liquid oil product as a drag on their portfolio as they see the S&P racing ahead month after month, quarter after quarter, year after year. And you've got a lot of sovereign intervention in place. It's continued to, to push a bull market in bonds when you've got over $10 trillion of sovereign debt yielding less than zero. So the concept, I think, is an excellent one. I think people forget what happens in, in the inevitable down markets, and we are going to have one. And nobody can, can predict when it's going to happen, even the most sophisticated investors are lousy market timer. But having a better risk-adjusted portfolio to sharpen off some of these uh, edges, particularly on the downside, when behaviorally people just uh, don't want to tolerate that, and then they're very slow in getting back into the market when things start to go up. Bill, no question about it. Investors can have very short memories. And uh, it, it can be very, very frustrating for, for everybody in the industry. But we need to stop and take a short break here. We're talking again with Bill Kelly, CEO of Kaya, a Chartered Alternative Investment Analyst Association out of Boston. You're listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, and we'll be right back. According to the consulting firm Strategic Capital Allocation Group, every decade since 1900 has experienced at least one bear market, and several have experienced as many as three. So how do we protect our principal from these declines without missing the gains when prices rise? At Strategic Investor Radio, we interview asset managers with unique strategies designed to both protect and grow your investments. Investing is not rocket science. It's rocket fuel if you know how to harness it. For podcasts of our interviews, please visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. Back to Charlie and his guest. 
Thank you, Paul. Again, we're talking with Bill Kelly, CEO of Kaya, the Chartered Alternative Investment Analyst Association out of Boston. So, Bill, you've talked to us about what Kaya does and why it's important. Who gets the Kaya designation and why? Well, it started out as a designation focused on asset owners, and by that I mean the sovereign wealth funds, big public pension plans, endowments and foundations. And as as we've grown as an organization and matured as a brand, we now not only want but take all comers. So our lineup of, of members and candidates include asset managers, global regulators. We have some people in the media in some cases that have been through this curriculum. So it's been a pretty good lineup and a pretty good mix. More and more people in the distribution side, relationship management, investor relations are also showing up in our candidate and member pool as well. But interestingly, getting back to uh, the more uh, retail-oriented liquid alt funds, we saw the advent of that uh, over the last several years and the growth of it. And we felt that we needed to have an educational solution geared more toward the wholesaler who's closer to the retail asset owner because the retail asset owner is rarely, if ever, going to be talking to the portfolio manager. So we created something called the Fundamentals of Alternative Investment, basically the same index as our core curriculum. It's more of an executive summary to give the right vocabulary and approach to these uh, wholesalers so they can have a a better and more informed conversation with the asset owner, i.e. the retail investor, and can talk about the positives, the negatives, and the risks associated with alternatives and really treat these as solutions to be discussed as opposed to products to be sold. And I think ultimately, if we're going to be successful as an industry with liquid alts, these products really have to be bought more than they've been sold. And I think that's been part of the challenge over the last several years. I think they may have been bought by nervous consumers in 2009 and 10, but I think over the last several years, their products have been more sold than bought. And I don't know if the asset owner truly understands the value proposition and what index that these various products should be measured against. So getting back to your point, Charlie, we, we covered the, the, uh, the, the gamut of, of uh, potential professionals in this industry, and we're now also focused on the more retail-oriented entrant. And and for the retail-oriented entrant, the fundamentals you talk about, is that a course? Is that a video? What What, what is it here? About? So it's a, it's a 20-hour online certificate-based program. Uh, it's a self-paced, self-study. It's 20 videos. Uh, you can get through it uh, in 20 hours if, if you're so inclined to sit down and, and do it nonstop. But I think that the right pace and approach is to probably do this over, over several months. We've had major uh, wirehouses come to us and have put every wholesaler through this program because they feel it's a very good value proposition to have these wholesalers understand a product that has been relatively new to many, many organizations over the last several years. Okay. Uh, congratulations. That sounds like a, a great thing to do to, to help the, the, the end investor. Now, you keep mentioning liquid alts. Um, does Kaya covered, uh, cover uh, real estate at all? Does it cover uh, business development companies, um, those kinds of things that may not be liquid? Yes, we have uh, non-tradable strategies like real estate, uh, timberland, farmland, uh, are all covered in our curriculum. They are a key component of it. And it's important, Charlie, for us 
that while we were born, uh, one of our founding partners, uh, UMass Amherst, we were partially born out of academia. The moment Kaya becomes an academic exercise, we become less and less relevant to the industry. So it's very important for us, and we do this, interfacing with global thought leaders around the world in terms of what's happening. So not only do we have to get the topics right, we have to get the weightings right, too. So you look at hedge funds, for instance. It probably was a much bigger weighting in our curriculum in 2003. Today it's about 15%. And if I look at where the future is going in terms of, of, of topical areas, uh, areas like infrastructure and private debt are going to have a tremendous need for assets. And I think those are going to be areas of tremendous gain and, and probably bigger coverage for us as, uh, as we move ahead into subsequent editions of our textbook. And, Bill, what do you guys do for people once they gain that designation? You mentioned chapters. What kind of events do you put on? What, what, what kind of ongoing uh, services do you offer? So we have these 27 uh, global chapters, uh, and we probably collectively put on uh, probably three or 400 events around the world every single year. They're content-based in that we have speakers come in and talk about something that's very topical. It doesn't necessarily have to be within the four corners of our curriculum. Uh, blockchain and crypto, cryptocurrency is something we talked about recently. There's a lot of going on or discussions on uh, machine learning and big data. Those are topics that we've covered in some of these uh, sessions as well. And then uh, some of these uh, content programs will cover what's, what's in our curriculum. So we try to stay very current. It's a way of engaging our members not only socially, which there is a benefit to that too, but it, it's uh, you can be competitors by day but if you come together as members in the evening at an event, it allows you to take in this content, talk to some of your competitors as peers, and really try to understand where this market's going and to build ultimately a very, a very good value proposition for the asset owners at the end of the day. So, Bill, a uh, question we like to ask all of our guests here. Uh, what keeps you awake at night? Well, you know, I think that if you look at the market today, and I alluded to this a moment ago, the, the very traditional 60-40 space, uh, as I said, it's uh, fraught with risk right now. You've got P-E ratios that are at near all-time highs and literally almost uh, north of $10 trillion of sovereign debt yielding less than zero. So there used to be a concept of a risk-free rate that might have been 3 5 6 8%. It's now negative. So... Uh, if I'm a, a, uh, an individual or I'm an RIA servicing an individual's assets, it's, it, it's got to be a very deep and informed conversation about how they are going to meet their goals. I think the question used to be, well, tell me about your risk tolerance. And when you had fixed income to work with and markets that were not as top as they are now, uh, I think the conversation really today has got to begin with, Tell me about the liability side of your balance sheet. What are your expectations around retirement? How many children do you have, and what's the cost of education? So at least I can get a fix on what the obligations are. And then tell me about your dreams. Do you want to have a second home? Do you want to travel when you retire? And get all of this uh, scheduled out, and then turn to the, to the asset side of the balance sheet and see what is currently available, see what the earning capacity is. And then you've got to have a very serious conversation about how they're going to meet those goals. And I would say... In in almost every case, if the thought is, well, my risk 
does not go much beyond equity and fixed income, it's going to be very, very hard to meet those goals. I think getting uncorrelated return streams into that portfolio can dampen down some of that volatility and deliver, deliver better risk-adjusted returns. But if my expectation is that I want to be in the equity markets and I'm willing to ride out these 30% down periods, most investors can't tolerate that. But if you can tolerate it, Charlie, the answer is not so bad. And I saw something that I think Saks had put out uh, uh, not too long ago, that if you go all the way back to 1929, when, when some of the data was first really put together in a reasonable, manageable way, so you're going back almost 100 years, you can drop a pin in any period of time and go out 15 years. And if you look at the S&P for that 15-year period of time, any time in that 90-year window, it is up. But during that 15-year time, you have a lot of volatility. If you want to shrink it down to 10 years, it was only down two times in that, in that period of time. So, again, pick any 10-year window, and it's down only twice. But most investors don't have the tolerance to stick it out when things get rough, and then they're late coming back in. And uh, one other related point uh, that I can share with you is that I saw another study recently the fact set had done, and they, lo they looked at the S&P returns for the 10 years ended October of 2015. And if you were in the market that entire time, your return compounded at almost 6% a year for that 10-year period of time. If you missed just the 10 very best days in that 10-year window, your return was almost minus 2. So it really underscores the importance of staying fully invested. But if your goal as an asset owner is to try to tack in and out of markets over periods of time, you're not going to be able to do it. Even the most sophisticated investor cannot time markets well. So you've got to have the courage and the fortitude to either ride out these equity markets over long, long periods of time or try to get a better risk-adjusted portfolio with lower volatility so you don't have to worry and lose so much sleep when you have this inevitable uh, downturns in the marketplace because ultimately the biggest enemy for the saver is drawdown risk, and that's what they should be looking to prevent. You know, uh, I read this past week that uh, CalPERS, which I, I think that their uh, fiscal year ends June 30th, that they published their returns for the last year, and uh, they were, I think, 0.6%. And it just shows, the, and, and, and they've got, to, you know, as we all know, that they've got obligations to meet. So they have got to uh, generate good returns. And their consultants have told them that they can count on an average of 7.5% per year. And then uh, that's what they were, and then recently they went down to about 7.1%, and now they're expected to fall even further. So the importance of the uh, diversification and being able to allocate those assets to areas that have an opportunity to generate an income for institutions and for investors is just uh, really brought uh, was brought home to me when I read that article there. Absolutely, and I think as you so aptly point out, yeah, CalPERS is a fiduciary, so as an individual, I may have to uh, cut back on my lifestyle, and maybe my kids are not going to go to the college they necessarily wanted to because I, I can't afford it now, but, but CalPERS has public employees who have a fixed asset stream that's been promised to them, a fixed payment stream that's been promised to them, and 
the ability to go renegotiate that uh, is a non-starter in the minds of, of these investors. So I think that uh, as fiduciaries, and again, I think there was some noise with CalPERS getting out of hedge funds uh, a year or so ago, and um, they did not call and consult me, so I don't know exactly what that means. But looking at all the, uh, the tools in front of them to come up with the best possible means of return for these asset owners on a risk-adjusted basis is something that everybody needs to be looking at, whether or not your portfolio is $5,000 or I think CalPERS might be about $300 billion today. Uh, the same concept applies to both. So, Bill, the second question we like to ask all of our guests is, what book on investing would you recommend to our listeners? Well, I had the uh, the huge opportunity and pleasure of interviewing Howard Marks uh, from Oak Tree, who's one of uh, the largest, if not the largest, uh, private uh, debt manager, distressed debt manager in the world. And uh, this happened at uh, a conference called All LA, which we put on in Los Angeles uh, just uh, in March of this year. And very interesting and accomplished professional. And uh, he wrote a book called The Most Important Thing. And it's things singular, but it's a collection of letters that he writes to his investors. And his investors are the most sophisticated investors in the world. And, and it's a very interesting and approachable read. And, in fact, when I interviewed Howard, I said to him at the end, I said, Howard, you know, I, I, I read this book on the flight out from Boston to uh, Los Angeles. And, uh, and I've seen some of his letters over the years. But I said, you know what, I found it very interesting, very readable, and very approachable. I said, in fact... I felt like you wrote it for me. And Howard is sort of a no-nonsense guy, and he said, well, Bill, do you consider yourself a sophisticated investor? And I said, well, everything in life's relative, and relative to the average retail investor, yes, but relative to your client base, you've got the most sophisticated sovereign wealth funds, public pension plans, endowments and foundations. So relative to your client base, no. And without missing a beat, he said to me, don't kid yourself. So I think that it really underscores the importance that a lot of lessons that your listeners uh, need to understand and get their, their heads wrapped around apply to so many individuals across the spectrum. And we're all creatures of habit, and behavioral finance always comes into the room. And trying to beat that back as best we can is important, but one of the best ways to do it is to take the right approach and, and right mindset to a portfolio dampen down some of that volatility. I think you're going to sleep better at night and probably have a much better shot at meeting your ultimate uh, return streams to meet those liabilities on that side of your balance sheet. Bill, great minds work alike. I want you to know uh, we have had that book recommended, I think, three or four times in the past three months. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. Terrific oh, yeah. Read. And, uh, you know, people just seem to love it. And these are all professionals like you who have been in the industry for decades and who do a lot of reading, uh, highly respected people from all over the country, and have different uh, responsibilities, and they, they just really seem to, to love that book. And I've got to admit, I have not read it yet, but it's now on my list, and I'm going to be reading it. So thank you very much for bringing that up here. Well, funny thing in that, Charlie, that when I went to, to uh, interview Howard, I, there was a bookstore I knew in Boston. I had an, a, a board meeting. I said, I'll go pick it up. And I go, and this uh, Barnes & Noble is now a Walgreens drugstore. Uh, and then uh, I tried a local bookstore that still exists, and uh, they didn't carry it. I had to go and renew a library card. I had not been in my local library in, in years. Got the library card, and they had two versions of the book. And I took the book out, and I probably shouldn't admit this on the radio, but I had Howard sign it. 
and then told the library that I lost the book. And I, I reimbursed them for the cost of a new one, and now I have a signed copy of a library book with uh, Howard's endorsement and uh, signature in it. So it's, it's a great book unto itself, and I treasure it for the fact that I know of Howard's signature in it. Well, your, your secret uh, will stay with us. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> so give us uh, the Kaya website here, Bill. It's uh, CAIA.org, and the .org indicates we're a not-for-profit, and uh, that's the business we're in. And uh, we're ultimately just trying to bring a better education, educational value proposition to all asset owners around the world. Well, Bill, thank you very much. How about final words for our listeners here? Well, I would say uh, keep the faith. It's, uh, we're in a very unique marketplace in that this sovereign intervention uh, in terms of trying to uh, manage their balance sheets and manage currencies and manage interest rates against uh, economies that ultimately uh, you can't. You can't uh, accelerate uh, productivity. That's got to happen on its own. And I think the investors have to be wary but patient. And I think if you can have a more balanced portfolio, it will hopefully weather the storm uh, over the long period. Bill, thank you very much. We really appreciate you joining us today. And uh, thank you for being with us. Pleasure is mine. Thank you, Charlie. Take care. Again, we've been talking with uh, Bill Kelly, CEO of Kaya Chartered Alternative Investment Analyst Association out of Boston. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, and we wish you an enjoyable week and productive investing. You've been listening to The Strategic Investor, your source for compelling investment strategies from some of the most productive asset managers in the industry. For unique investment strategies, visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. Investing is not rocket science. 